Good morning. I want you to try to take a moment and um, think of a, a meal that was particularly significant to you. It was just a, a special meal. Uh, maybe it was an anniversary dinner. Maybe it was a, a wedding that you were at. Uh, maybe it was a, a special meal that you shared with friends. But think of a meal that was particularly significant or special to you. And the question I have is, what is it that makes that meal significant? Uh, my guess is that the, the, the food in that meal was probably pretty good. Uh, my guess is that if the meal was at all significant to you, it probably didn't involve rhubarb in any way, shape, or form. And we all understand rhubarb is evil. And, uh, but my guess is that although the food of that meal was probably very delicious, uh, it's not the actual food that makes the meal stand out, or that's not all there is to it. Uh, perhaps you can't even re- uh, remember what w- exactly was on the menu of that meal, but you still remember that meal as being significant. My guess is that where you were eating the meal had a, play- uh, had a part to play in your memories of it. And even more importantly, my guess is that the people with whom you shared the meal made the meal important. There's something about eating together. There's something about sharing food together that is very significant in our lives. And as you read the Bible, you will see that food and eating together, they play a a very significant role in the scriptures. So in the Old Testament, on a regular basis, God's people would come to the temple, to their place of worship, and they, as a part of their worship, they would offer an animal sacrifice or other sacrifices to God. And when they offered in animal sacrifices or food sacrifices, um, a lot of the sacrifice would be consumed by the fire, but not all of it all of the time. Often, they would take part of the offering, and they would, after it was cooked and prepared, they would eat it together as God's people. And so they learned that part of their worship, part of their confession of sin, part of their celebration of God involved eating together as God's people. And as you look through the Old Testament, um, food and uh, eating and festivals, that played a huge role, not only in the worship, but in the life of God's people. It is something that God called his people to because there's something very significant about eating together. When you look in the Gospels, that is the the first four books of the New Testament, the stories about the life and the ministry of Jesus, you realize that food and eating together, meals, they continue to play a significant role. If you think about the stories that Jesus told or the stories about Jesus' life and ministry, so many of those stories involve food. Uh, The parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the wedding banquet, the story of Jesus um, performing his first miracle was at a wedding feast when he changed the water into wine, the story of Jesus eating with Zacchaeus, the story of Jesus eating with Matthew and his tax collector friends, the story of Jesus being anointed by the sinful woman. You remember that story? That took place around a table as they were eating. Lots and lots of significant stories involve food and eating together in this very significant part of our scriptures. So it should not be any surprise to us that when Jesus looked towards his death on the cross, right before he died, and he sought to share a moment with his disciples and convey to them the significance about what was about to happen in his death and in his resurrection, it should not surprise us then that he did so in the form of a meal. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples, He was with his disciples around the table, 
And he took a loaf of bread, and he broke it, and after he had given thanks, the scripture says, he gave it to his disciples, and he said something very significant. He says, this is my body, which is given for you. And then it says that after supper, Jesus took the cup of wine, and he said to his disciples, giving them the cup of wine, he says, this is my blood of the covenant. And in saying these things, he said both times to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me when you eat the bread and when you drink the wine. And I'm sure for the disciples that at the time it didn't strike them, but I'm sure that it would probably be become in their memories one of the most, if not the most, significant meal that they had ever been a part of. And as the early church, after Jesus was resurrected and when he went to heaven to be with the, the Heavenly Father, his Heavenly Father, as the early church formed and began to meet together, eating together, sharing food, sharing meals together became a central part of the life of the church. And in particular, this meal that Jesus instituted with his disciples before his death, with the bread and with the wine, this became the central meal of the church. And rightly so, because it is because it is full of significance, full of meaning, and full of life. So depending on your tradition, this meal, this holy meal that I'm talking about, you might know it as the Lord's Supper, you might know it as the Eucharist, you might know it as communion. But whatever you know this meal, whatever name you associate with this meal, it has been a central part of the life and worship of the church ever since the church began. So This weekend, uh, over the next month, as we anticipate Good Friday and as we anticipate Easter that whole weekend, over the next number of Sundays leading up to the Easter weekend, we're going to talk about this holy meal together. And we're going to look in the scriptures and try to unearth and discover the, the true meaning, the deep significance, and the deep life that comes out of sharing this meal together as a congregation. Uh, Gordon Smith, who was a professor, a theology professor of mine, uh, in Bible College. He's now the president of Ambrose University in Calgary. Uh, he wrote a book called A Holy Meal, the title of this sermon series. And in this book, he goes through and he examines seven words that are associated scripturally with the Lord's table, with communion, with the Eucharist. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about some of those words and why scripturally we need to understand how significant this meal is and how life-giving this meal is. And in addition to uh, looking into the scriptures together, each Sunday we're also going to respond as part of our worship and celebrate the Lord's Supper on each of these Sundays leading up to Easter. So I'm looking forward to that. When I was a little boy, um, I grew up in this church. You'll see a picture of it. So uh, when I was... uh, well, when I was born until I was around 18, or sorry, eight years old, I was part of this church. This is St. Luke's Church. It's still there. It's in a little town called Hemingford, Quebec, uh, in the southern part of Quebec, just near the Vermont border. And uh, my dad was the minister um, in this church. It was an Anglican church. And not only was he the minister in this church, he had two other parishes as well. And so he would uh, do the service at St. Luke's, and this was our home church. And then he would hop on his motorcycle, and he would go to the next parish, and he would do the service there. And then he would hop on his motorcycle after that was done and go to the next parish and do the service there. That was uh, just happened to be the life of pastors, of ministers in small 
uh, rural areas that we, uh, such as the one that we were part of. But at St. Luke's, uh, I was there till I was eight years old, as I mentioned. And so I have some memories. The memories that I have are limited. But one specific memory that I have is of the communion table, is of the Lord's Supper. Now, at that point in my life, because of that particular tradition and because of the fact, I'm sure, that they used real wine in communion, I was a spectator of the Lord's Supper. I didn't participate at that point in my life in the Lord's Supper, but I have a lot of memories of watching this happen. And uh, so in that tradition, um, people wouldn't, as we normally do, people wouldn't remain in their seats and receive the elements. They would come forward, as we're going to do this morning, and they would receive the elements. And so I remember watching people come to the front, and they would kneel at the altar, and my dad would be there in all of his robes, which I'm glad I don't have to wear, but he would be there in all of his robes, and they would use wafers, and each person would hold out their hands like this. They would receive a wafer, which represented the bread, the body of Jesus. And then after that was done, there was a common cup of wine, a goblet of wine, and my dad would, everyone would drink from the same cup, I know that we don't like that idea, but they would drink from the same cup, and then my dad would have a cloth, and then he would move on to the next person. They would drink, and he would wipe and have a cloth, and so on. And I remember taking all of this in as a boy, and I didn't understand the deep significance of this, but I knew even at that age that something special was going on. Something significant was going on. So when I was around 9 or 10 years old, Uh, We moved to southern Ontario where my dad took on a new church and we became part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And so we attended and my dad was a pastor at this church, an Alliance church. The reason being because we all know that Jesus was Alliance. And so we moved to an Alliance church. And uh, this was Emmanuel Alliance Church. And my dad was the pastor there uh, for many years. And I have so many rich memories of being part of uh, this church church family. It was a great time in my life. Uh, This next picture is a picture of me playing drums at Emmanuel Alliance Church. I'm not sure why you needed to see that picture other than I just love how the bright yellow drums go so well with the bright orange carpet. Don't you love that? It's just great. All right, Jonah, you can take that off. But so many memories for me at this church. It was a great church family for me, uh, a church where I got to uh, be part of the worship, use my gifts, But again, one of the great memories I have was celebrating the Lord's Supper together with God's people. A different tradition, a tradition much like we have here uh, at our church. In this tradition, we would stay in our seats, and the servers would come, and we would be passed a piece of bread, a bread from a common loaf. And then the juice cups would go around, and we would take uh, a cup of juice. And I went from being a spectator of the Lord's Supper to being allowed to be a participant, even as a child, in the Lord's Supper. And although, uh, you know, this meal at that point, it was always a very solemn part of the Sunday service. We use the phrase, celebrate the Lord's Supper, but it never felt like a celebration to me. It, It was always a very somber and very serious occasion. And although I didn't fully understand everything that we were doing or the full significance of what we were doing, And although, admittedly, I didn't always fully engage my mind or my heart in what we were doing, I always knew that communion was important. And indeed, it was important to me growing up. And then um, I became a pastor in my mid-20s. And so I went from being a spectator of the Lord's Supper to being a participant of the Lord's Supper. As well, I went to being 
uh, one who was part of the church's leadership to having the privilege of dispensing the Lord's Supper to God's people, of handing out the Lord's Supper, and that was a privilege. And I enjoyed doing that. I didn't always do it perfectly, though. I remember one Sunday at Rocky View Alliance, uh, my first pastorate in Calgary, I was in charge of leading communion. And so it was an honor, and so I wanted to do a good job, but I didn't because I was in charge. My boss, Randy, was assisting me at the other side of the communion table. And so at the beginning, uh, we were supposed to get up and hand the bread out to the servers. And so Randy got up, and he handed the bread out to his servers on the one side. And I got up, and my mind was somewhere else. I grabbed the juice cups and handed the juice cups to the servers. They didn't seem to notice, so they handed out the juice. So one half of the congregation had bread. The other half of the congregation had juice. And I hadn't any clue what I was supposed to do at that point. So I looked over to my boss, Randy, for some help, and I just saw him doing this. So we figured it out. For me, the Lord's Supper, as I've mentioned a couple of times, is uh, deeply significant. It is a part of who we are as Christ's church. It is a part of our worship. It is a part of what we do. I'm not sure what your history is with this meal. Maybe you're, you're new to church. Maybe you haven't gone to church in a long time. Maybe you don't have much of a history with this meal. Maybe this is the first time you've been introduced to this holy meal. Maybe you, like me, you grew up in the church, and so this meal has been part of your tradition, your life, for your whole life. Growing up, uh, I was so often reminded of the Apostle Paul's command from 1 Corinthians 11 with regards to the Lord's Supper, where he says this, So then... Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. In a couple weeks, we're going to look at those verses and try to unearth what they actually are talking about. But growing up, hearing those verses and hearing other uh, verses about communion, I knew that communion was not something to be taken lightly. And I knew that at the very least, we were not to go through the motions as we partook of the Lord's Supper. That is, it was not to become an empty ritual, that we were to be mindful, that we were to be thoughtful, that we were to take the time and um, focus our heart's attention, affection, on Christ and be engaged fully in what we were doing. So to help us do that as we partake of this meal over the next few weeks, to help us engage fully and to be present in heart, body, mind, and spirit, as I mentioned, over the next few weeks, we want to remind ourselves of the biblical understanding of this meal. And so we will uh, take into consideration one particular word each Sunday that is associated scripturally with this meal. And today, for the next few minutes that I have remaining in this message, I want us to consider probably the word that you most associate, or most of you most associate with this meal. And that is the word remembrance. Remembrance. And the reason I say that probably most of us associate that word with this meal is because of Jesus' words when he says, do this in remembrance of me. We're going to consider that word. In 1 Corinthians 11... Verses 23 to 26, the Apostle Paul writes this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. 
the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is a meal of remembrance. Uh, Gordon Smith, he writes this. As Christians, nothing so marks our lives as the death and resurrection of Jesus. Thus, there is extraordinary import to the words Jesus said to his disciples immediately prior to his death. Do this in remembrance of me. So when Jesus was with his disciples and when he was instituting this meal on the night that he was betrayed, he was doing so around a table. And it happened to be the Passover. It was the Passover meal that they were partaking in together. Now the Passover meal, if you will remember, was something that the Jewish people celebrated every year. And they had done so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it was a meal where they looked back and they remembered and they celebrated God's provision for his people. Specifically, they remembered God saving Israel and freeing Israel from from slavery out of Egypt. So if you remember the story, for hundreds of years, the Israelites were slaves in the country of Egypt. And Pharaoh was the leader of the country of Egypt. And so God uh, brought Moses along, and Moses began to give leadership to God's people, even while they were in captivity. And God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh didn't listen. And so nine different plagues came on the people over the nation of Egypt as a way to try to get Pharaoh to let God's people go, to let them free, uh, make, uh, set them free from slavery. And after nine plagues, Pharaoh still wouldn't listen. And so the tenth plague came, and the tenth plague was absolutely devastating. The tenth plague, in the tenth plague, every firstborn in the land of Egypt died. And in the, it, before that plague happened, God came to his people, and he instructed his people in the following. He said that every Israelite household, they were instructed to select a lamb and to sacrifice it. And... If a, a, if a family was particularly small, they would do this with surrounding neighbors. And together they would select a lamb, they would sacrifice the lamb, and the lamb would be offered to God, but they would eat the lamb together. They would eat this meal together. But God also instructed them in doing this. He said, take some of the blood from the sacrifice and put wipe some of the blood over the doorposts of every house of every Israelite. And in so doing, on the night of this plague, if there was blood on the doorposts of the house, they would be passed over and they would be saved. That the firstborn in that house would not be taken. And that is the institution, that is the history of the Passover. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, and by the way, after this tenth plague, Pharaoh finally subsided and he let God's people go free and they were freed from their slavery. And so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people remembered the Passover. God's people celebrated that God had set them free from slavery and saved them. And so fast forward to this meal that Jesus had with his disciples. It's the Passover meal. It's the time of Passover. And Jesus takes the bread and the cup, 
and he says of the bread, this is my body. And he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood of the covenant. And then he says something amazing. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And I'm sure we're so used to hearing that. We're so used to having that meal connected to Jesus, but his disciples probably were not expecting that. Because it was their tradition not to remember Jesus in that meal. It was their tradition to remember Egypt and what God had done and his saving work in Egypt. Do this in remembrance of, they would think, God setting Israel free from Egypt out of slavery. And Jesus says, whenever you do this and take this bread and drink this cup and it's at a Passover meal, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And in this one meal and in this one act, Jesus is changing the whole game. Jesus is saying this. He is saying, when you eat and when you drink, remember me. And he is pointing to himself as the ultimate and true Passover lamb. And he's saying that the sacrifice of his body and his blood will deliver God's people from their sin and from their bondage. He is saying, when you eat and when you drink, remember. Remember me. Remember that I am your hope. Remember that I have set you free. Remember that I, the Lamb of God, laid down my life for you. Remember that through my death and resurrection, you are a forgiven people. Remember that you are loved. Remember, remember, remember. As we eat this meal, Jesus says, remember. As a Christian, the cross and the resurrection are central. They're core to who we are. We need to remember. But here's the thing. We don't remember, and we're not called to remember, because somehow Jesus was afraid we would forget, literally, the details of the story. It's not a memory problem that Jesus is after here. It's not a memory problem that Jesus is trying to help us with. The fact that we remember, in the act of remembering, we are remembering the significance of what Jesus has done, the truth about how Jesus has set us free. And in the act of remembering, it has a way of correcting lies, perhaps, that we have held on to, that we have believed in our heart. In remembering what Jesus has done for us, we remember who we are in Christ. We remember what God says about us, that we are forgiven, that we are daughters, that we are sons, that we are free, that we are loved, not because of anything in and of ourselves, but because of what Jesus has done for us. That's what we are remembering. But also this, in remembering, remembering has a way of focusing our heart's attention and affection on Jesus himself. That is, that in the act of eating this bread and drinking this cup, it is a way of doing what Hebrews chapter 12 calls us to do, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. We are called to remember. We are called to remember who Jesus says that we are. We are called to remember who we are in light of what Christ has done for us. And we are called to give thanks in remembering. And we are called to focus our heart's attention and affection, to fix our eyes on Jesus as we remember. And so Jesus gave us these tangible symbols to help us do that. He gave us the bread, and he gave us the cup to help us remember. And Jesus said when he took the bread, he said, this is my body. 
when he took the cup, he said, this is my blood. Now, Jesus didn't mean this literally. This is one thing that we hold to as we celebrate this meal. That, that is that we don't believe in or uh, affirm the theology of uh, transubstantiation. Some of you may know what that means. That, that is that at some particular point of the meal, that the bread literally becomes the body of Jesus or that the cup literally becomes the blood of Jesus. We understand what Jesus said in terms of symbol, that Jesus was using symbolic language. If I were to show a picture of Coralie, my wife, I would say, and rightly say, I would say, this is my wife. But I don't literally mean that this screen, this picture is my wife. I mean, this is a picture of my wife. This is language that we use, and Jesus was using similar language. He was saying, this bread, remember me, this is my body. And this cup, remember me, this is my blood. But in saying that these things are symbols, I want us to understand that they are not merely symbols. That is, that they are not meaningless symbols to be treated lightly. I believe, with all of my heart, that when we set aside the bread and when we set aside the juice for the purpose of this holy meal, it is sacred. That the bread is sacred. That the cup is sacred. That is, that they are set apart for this purpose. That God's people will come together and remember. And we'll be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so we allow and we encourage children to participate in this meal. But we also encourage parents to teach your children, for you to make the decision, are your children ready? Is there understanding, at, even at a basic level, to what this meal is about? And parents, that is your job, that is your role, to prepare your kids for this meal, and for you to make the decision, are they ready to, uh, to receive this meal? But there is a word also for us as adults. This is a sacred meal. It doesn't mean that it needs to feel like a funeral. But it does mean that we are not to go on autopilot as we eat this meal and to simply go through the motions. We are to, as I mentioned before, focus our heart's attention and affection on Jesus and to do what he's calling us to do, to remember. In a moment, we will remember together. But I first want to remind you of one more thing. Gordon Smith writes the following. He says this, Communion, then, is not the same as a memorial service to remember and honor someone who has died. This holy meal is a memorial of a different kind. It is a recollection and a remembrance that take us into an encounter with the very one whom we remember. When you are at someone's memorial service, you remember someone who is no longer present with you. But as we gather for the Lord's Supper, friends, it is different. As we gather to remember Jesus' death, we also remember his resurrection. As we partake of the bread and drink the cup, we remember that Jesus not only died, but that he is here now with us in this place. That as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, you don't remember someone who is long gone. That someone is sitting beside you. That someone is with us in our midst. My friend Mark Peters says this, I want you to think of this meal in terms of having received a dinner invitation from Jesus. If you can imagine sitting down beside Jesus at a dinner table, what would you want to say to him? 
Which needs would you lay before him? What would you want to thank him for? And what might he want to say to you, to give to you? In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus gave this invitation to believers, to the church. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Whoever hears my voice and answers the door, I will come in. And then Jesus says, and I will eat with him and he with me. I will eat with her and her with me. It's an invitation of Jesus. And although Jesus wasn't necessarily talking about the communion table, Jesus is always inviting us to come and to have communion with him, to eat and to drink with him. And that invitation is for every single one of us this morning. And so I'm going to ask the servers if you would come at this time. But I, I want to invite you to the table this morning. And we're going to do it a little differently. And so I, I want you to listen here to my instructions. We are going to come up, and I would like to invite uh, you to form lines on the outsides and to come. And when you come and receive the bread, simply hold out your hands like this. So often we, the, 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 the tray comes around and we take the bread, and that's fine. But there's something in receiving, the act of receiving, where we are saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you. So hold out your hands like this and receive the bread, and a piece of bread will be given to you. And then move, and then a, a, a cup will be given to you. And then I'm asking you to take the bread and the cup and to go back to your seat before you eat it. And... When you are ready, you can eat and you can drink. But this is what I'm asking of you. That you would take a moment and bow your head and acknowledge Jesus, who is with you, who is with us. What is it that you would like to say to Jesus as you eat the bread and drink the cup? What is it that Jesus might want to say to you? What is it that you would like to thank Jesus for? And just be quiet before the Lord for a moment and remember him and acknowledge his presence with you and then eat the bread and drink the cup and then we will close a little later.